It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's a, a sports, sports rush, rush with Brett Rook. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are incredible! Older than one. Yeah, well, you're half right. What is this, amateur hour? This is going to be huge. I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Just when I think you've said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it? I have problems. Welcome to the alleged show. was the song we were going to get to start the show today. I thought we would get some ice, ice, baby. Believe enough, we have that in the record library. But that's maybe what we should have today. It is a slippery day. Of course, some drizzle, a little bit of mist and drizzle out there, and much of it is starting to freeze, creating a little... Uh, it, the roads still are not too bad, but what you do have to be very cautious of is walking on sidewalks because all of a sudden you'll hit one spot that just froze enough to make it really slick. And I'm not, you know, well, yeah, I am. I'm talking for myself because I about fell on my butt <laughs> trying to get in here. But oh, it is the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, four to six. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy, and we've got you connected on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line at 46862. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be nasty tonight. Most area sports events have reacted to the impending weather, and uh, most everything in the 260 high school-wise has been canceled tonight, according to Justin Prince. Uh, give credit where credit is due. We didn't sit and collect the closings or delays or cancellations. No, he did, but he posted it, made it very convenient, convenient for the rest of us to just say, yeah, nothing happening tonight. <laughs> stay inside, stay off the roads. Let the road crews do their job to try to keep these things from getting frozen up and being nothing but an ice rink out there. Uh, so, anyway, we've made our announcements, so now we can move on, right? Oh, yeah. It's time to start the show. Oh, it's going to be a fun one, too, because coming up in hour number two, you know who we've got as a guest. It is Monday. It's 15 Minutes with Fish, Don Fisher. Yeah, he made a little bit of uh, news this weekend. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Uh, if you missed it, Don Fisher calling the game Friday against Wisconsin and Indiana had CJ Gunn ejected from the game for throwing an elbow. And it was the second Indiana player in a couple of weeks that had been tossed. Of course, Xavier Johnson, he got the uh, exit slip in a, in a game a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and that's actually, I think, what Don was referencing is just the lack of discipline and control. But if you're wondering what all the uh, rumbling was about this weekend, about Don Fisher's comments, here's exactly what it sounded like on the air. And I have never said this before in my 51 years behind the microphone at Indiana University, but I am embarrassed for this ball club. Uh, right and now. Not, be not because of the score. And that's what he said. He's embarrassed for the ball club, but then he slipped in, and not because of the score. So it wasn't something that uh, it was because of how they were playing or how many points they were up or down. 
it was something else, and that's where I'm connecting dots. But we're going to find out direct from the source himself because Don Fisher is going to join us, and certainly this is going to be a topic of discussion with Don Fisher coming up at 5.20 this afternoon. Uh, Also on the way, eh, we figured we would give Justin Cohn the stage. He's going to join us later this hour. Of course, he uh, is always counted on for great coverage of the Fort Wayne Comets, even when the Detroit Lions are trying to make some history and get to a NFC Conference Championship game. Justin Cohn is there rinkside calling or or not calling but but writing and following and reporting on the comets uh but uh yeah his uh his focus was definitely in two places yesterday and the lions get the win they're moving on to take on san francisco out in the bay and uh and so we thought this would be a perfect time he can recap what he saw in the two and a quarter games that he actually watched (laughs) at the coliseum and uh, also talk a little bit about the Lions. What a fun weekend of football. <laughs> it There there was a lot of football. Uh, I guess the football was probably more fun than what I had with basketball. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. Trip to Cleveland. And uh, actually, let me just say something, though. The first 40 minutes or so, 30 or uh, 29 minutes, yeah. 30 minutes of that game against Cleveland, the Macedons played as well as they have played all year. And uh, kind of showed how this team was a 13-2 and two team. The only problem is in the last 11 minutes, Cleveland State showed why they haven't lost at home in over a year. Because there's a lot of pride in maintaining that winning streak. It's the second longest in the country on their home court. And so uh, they they just, man, they, they smoked it over the last 11 minutes. They hit... A couple of three-pointers that were 30-plus feet away from the basket. One was just outside of the center circle. The point guard brings Uh. it down the floor, crosses into the front court, and then steps into a triple. And when he took it, my first reaction was, thank you very much. I thought, boy, now we've got him taking really stupid shots. And then things aren't thing went in. That's that's pretty ridiculous Uh. from that far out. And then uh, then he took another one, like a heat check, and that went in. Uh, and then the Dons, uh, with the crowd all into it, the Dons kind of buckled a little bit and uh, uncharacteristically turned the ball over. They're one of the best teams in the country in fewest turnovers, and they turned it over four consecutive possessions. That hurts. And they were uh, live-action turnovers, and so what happened was uh, – Cleveland State got the ball, threw it forward, got it to a guy that's 6'7 and incredibly athletic. And, of course, he goes up, puts on a show for the fans with big dunk, and then the crowd's going all berserk. And it was uh, a lot to recover from. The 15-point lead evaporated. Then it was basically a game that came down to the stretch. Could have gone either way. Teams exchanged leads for a while. But eventually, it was Cleveland State that held on and extended their home court winning streak. Now to uh, 18 games. They have not lost at home in over a year. Very impressive. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not like the Mastodons, uh, you know, a loss is a bad loss because there's been like 17 teams before them that gave it a shot there in Cleveland State. Some pretty good teams from other conferences even. And uh, and but the thing is. Very few of those other teams probably ever had a 15-point second-half lead, especially with just 11 minutes left. It's unfortunate, though, that in a game that often has runs, 
The run came at the right time for Cleveland State and at the worst time for the Mastodons as uh, the Dons just trying to find a way to snap this losing streak and they end up uh, falling by seven to the Cleveland State Vikings, 75-68. to 68. Uh, Dons will be back at it on Thursday night, heading down to Northern Kentucky. Second meeting against the Northern Kentucky Norse. The Mastodons defeated the Norse back in late December, 73-60. to 60. Uh, The Norse also have only lost one time all year at home, and uh, they're in the middle of a of kind of a home stretch where they're, they've got like three straight, I think, at home. But the Mastodons will be down there on Thursday, and we'll have your coverage right here at 645. Mastodons and the Northern Kentucky Norse, pregame 645, tip at 7 on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. So we did have football. Just a little bit of football over Just the weekend. a little bit of football. Uh, Buffalo... Man, I tell you what, I had them picked as one of my Super Bowl teams. Uh, I had Buffalo, San Francisco, and I've been sticking with it for a while. <laughs> but uh, And I felt kind of confident that the uh, way Buffalo was playing and having the home game against Kansas City, that Buffalo could get it done. But you know what? There would be so many young girls that would be disappointed if Kansas City didn't win because it'd be the end of Taylor Swift in a VIP box at these stadiums on NFL Sundays. Oh, what would they do? We couldn't have that. Oh, it would be a national Swifty riot. Oh, man, it it would be. It would would cause chaos across the country. (laughs) So anyway, Buffalo's got the ball. First of all, uh, rule number one, never take a field goal for granted. Don't believe you're in field goal position, so you can always settle for three points. Do not take that for granted. Figure out the offense that gets you another first down. I thought that Buffalo, number one, wanted to run clock, and then number two, got impatient. I thought they had a chance to maybe move it into a better position and uh, and, and maybe get a first down before they had to then come in and kick it. They had plenty of time on the clock, but by throwing the couple of incomplete passes and trying to get the quick seven, and and almost the plays were like, we can take a couple shots here because we're in field goal range. Let's take a couple shots at the end zone, and if we don't get it, we'll send our kicker out to tie this game up. You almost felt like Buffalo was playing to that narrative. Never do that. Never trust a kicker. Uh, nothing against kickers, but never trust a kicker. It's like a guy that's a 90-some percent free throw shooter. He can step up needing one out of two to win the game, and he might miss both of them. You know, it's just never, never trust and leave a game and a season on the brink at the foot of a kicker. And so Buffalo pays the price. What did it sound like? Well, of course, we've got your NFL playoff coverage. Kevin Harlan had the call from Westwood One. The snap is good. The ball put down. The kick is up. And no good. Wide right. Wide right. The Bills kicker missed a field goal. Wide right. (laughs) Jubilation for the Chiefs sideline. 143 to go. You know what that, uh, it's almost mimicking the call of the Bills missing wide right with Scott Norwood when he missed a field goal for the Bills that would have won a game. 
I think that was the Super Bowl. But uh, but anyway, that uh, the great Kevin Harlan with the call on the miss. Was it Trevor Bass? Yes, it was Tyler Bass. Bass. It was Bass. I don't know if it's Trevor or Tyler. Tyler Bass. Um, but he missed it wide right. and uh, Tyler. Tyler Bass. And it ended up uh, being a Kansas City win by three over the Buffalo Bills. Uh, um, and it just kind of makes me think if this felt like the time that the Bills could beat the Chiefs and finally get over the Patrick Mahomes hump. But now it's like, are they ever going to be able to do it? I, I thought they should have. I mean, I, I yeah. honestly thought... Uh, that Buffalo had the more well-rounded team and that they were playing at a better level than Kansas City. The one thing Kansas City had is they had Mahomes to Kelsey. Did it Uh twice. A couple of touchdowns to Travis Kelsey. Um, I think they've now become the the number one combination quarterback to tight end. But uh, with the Bills linebackers having the injuries... Kansas City kind of exploited that by working in the tight end as much as possible, and so it was a big day for Travis Kelsey. But uh, here's here's something that came up in this game, and we've got to address this, because this rule has to change. The NFL cannot allow this silliness to go on any longer, that a guy fumbles the ball, it goes into the end zone and then dribbles out of the end zone, and it's a change of possession to the other team. <laughs> yeah, that definitely added a little bit of, uh, ooh, what's going on here to the uh, game last night. I mean, that's like if a punter tries to kick it to the coffin corner and it goes out of bounds inside the one, <laughs> then the team takes over at the one-yard line. But if it goes past the pylon, then you flip possession. <laughs> it's it's just a ridiculous rule that uh, that the offense could give up a football by fumbling it into the end zone and the defense never getting a recovery. and Because if you fumble out of bounds, if that ball would take a crazy hop, bounce out of bounds outside the pylon, okay, then you get the ball a foot from the goal line. If it takes a crazy hop, remember, it's a football that has two points on the end, so it can <laughs> bounce either way. If it takes a crazy hop into the end zone and then kicks across the sideline uh, beyond the pylon, then it's at the 20-yard line belonging to the other team. That's too much extreme difference. Uh, what we've got to do, and this would be my resolution. First of all, if the ball is fumbled and the defense doesn't make a clean recovery before it crosses out of bounds, either on the sideline of the end zone or on the back line of the end zone, then the ball goes back and initially it will be spotted at the point where possession was lost, where he fumbled. And then you add a 10-yard march off. If you call it a penalty, it could be a penalty. I don't care how you determine it, but you have to back up 10 yards. Um, it's like a free possession penalty. Like, we're going to give you the ball, <laughs> but you got to pay some price for fumbling it sure. out of the end zone. So you go out. You, you, if the guy fumbles at the two and it goes past the pylon, out of bounds like it did against, uh, against Buffalo, then... Uh, Kansas City would still retain the ball. It would go back to the one-yard line where he fumbled because he fumbled inside the one, and then you'd march the 10 yards off. So it would be Kansas City football. You'd have the down still played like it was played, and you'd march it back to uh, to the 11 where then it would be the next down. And I think that's fair. If a guy's advanced it inside the one, and because he advanced it inside the one, that's why it got out of bounds before the defense could recover it, then uh, – you know, he should, because if he if he fumbled it at the four and it took the same angle, it would have gone out of bounds at the two. 
right? Now, they would have brought it back to the four where he fumbled because he can't fumble forward and have it go out of bounds. But the point is, it still would have been Kansas City football. And so I, I just think that's, that's penalizing uh, the offense for a play that the defense never completed, which is to recover the football. And so I, I kind of believe if a guy fumbles and it goes out of bounds in the end zone, that the team that fumbled it should still keep it, but they should pay a penalty. And you march it off to where he fumbled so there's no forward progress. If he fumbled at the five and it bounced forward into the end zone, then it's back at the five plus a 10-yard march off. I think it's a good idea. We'll make sure today's uh, show tape gets sent right to the NFL offices. Well, Goodell, Goodell's a regular listener of the program, oh, yeah. so we're talking to you, Roger. Roger? Uh, hey, Roger, you got that? Roger. Uh, because that should be something that gets changed. I agree. I agree. 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. 46862. How about those Detroit Lions holding on, getting the win over Tampa Bay? The most head-scratching play of the day never actually meant anything. <laughs> But we do have to ask, what was Todd Bowles thinking? And uh, we'll do that when we come back from the break. But before we get to the break, let's catch up with all of today's top headlines from Adam Lundy. All right, thanks, Brett. Well, speaking of the Lions, the Detroit Lions have agreed to a contract with veteran tight end Zach Ertz. His addition comes after Lions tight end Brock Wright sustained a forearm injury in Detroit's victory over the Buccaneers. Wright's injury left Sam Laporta as the only healthy tight end on the Lions roster. Ertz is expected to sign with the Lions practice squad and then be elevated for the NFC title game. Pretty good deal to get signed in his first game as a new Detroit yeah. Lions is the NFC title game. You're, you're one step from a Super Bowl <laughs> ring, buddy. Way to go. That's pretty awesome. Lions center Frank Ragnow also suffered a sprained knee and ankle in Sunday's win over the Buccaneers, but is expected to play in the NFC Championship game versus San Francisco. He'll be tough on that one out. Reigning national champion UConn remained number one atop the men's AP national poll today, receiving 44 first-place votes from the panel. Number two, Purdue got 17 first-place votes. A loss by the Kansas Jayhawks jumbled the rest of the top five with number Number three, North Carolina, number four, Houston, and number five, Tennessee, all moving up a spot by sweeping two games each. Last week, the Kansas Jayhawks dropped four spots to number seven. Purdue forward Trey Kaufman-Wren, who violently and awkwardly came down on his left leg at Iowa rolling his ankle, is fine and expected to play Tuesday night when the Boilermakers take on the Michigan Wolverines, according to assistant coach Paul Lusk, who stood in for Matt Painter for today's media availability. And today's last story for you here, Brett. DePaul fired men's head basketball coach Tony Stubblefield in the midst of his third season at the helm, the school announced today. The Blue Demons fell to 3-15 on the season after losing at Butler over the weekend. One of their 15 losses came earlier in the season to the Purdue-Fort Wayne Mass Nuns at their home arena in Chicago. They're winless in the Big East at 0-7. Yeah, you know, uh, DePaul was one of the teams in Phoenix at the Arizona tip-off or whatever they called that. And uh, I went to the gift shop at the hotel, and there, when I was there, I was buying cold medicine. If you remember, I was oh I yeah had awful cold that week, and uh, we had just beaten DePaul like a week before, and I ran into the DePaul head coach also in there buying something at the gift shop, and uh, had a, a, a brief conversation, but um, yeah, it, it was inevitable. I mean, you. There was no choice. The team uh, wasn't good enough, wasn't playing well enough. They couldn't overcome their lack of talent. Uh, I mean, it, it's bad in DePaul. 
Real bad. Real I think, bad. And when I say we kind of set the tone, it was kind of like that was probably a bit of a wake-up call. If you remember, Indiana went on when uh, when the Indiana State beat them bad in the first game mm-hmm. back in 2017. And Indiana went on, and they really had ups and downs and struggled. And I think sometimes it's that first time out there in your confidence because Mastodons get that win, and what do they do? They go out to a 13-2 and start. Sometimes that first game can really get into your head because it is your first game. You've thought about it for a long time. Then you come out thinking, hey, I think we've got a pretty good team. We just got to play somebody besides us. And then you come <laughs> out and you lose. Right. And what did you learn about yourself? All that work during the summer maybe didn't pay off and – it's just been a really tough year for DePaul. We've got to keep moving because we've got Justin Cohn who's going to be joining us coming up in about 15, 20 minutes. Uh, also, Lions, they get the win over Tampa Bay, and we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about college basketball from the weekend, and we've got your text available. Uh, just text us what's on your mind on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line at 46862. That's 46862. Got a text on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line that said it was the 1991 Super Bowl with Scott Norwood on the wide right. He missed it right. And uh, the win for Buffalo over the New York Giants. And uh, so thank you to our texter. Also, another texter texted in, one that we know very well, who said DePaul University, where coaches' careers go to die. Uh, That... You know, it, it, I was talking, Derek Decker, of course, who filled in this morning for Caleb on the uh, Caleb and Kenny morning show. I, we, we saw Derek. He's still here. We can't get him to leave. He's hanging out in the hallway, <laughs> always wants to jump in during our breaks and talk sports. But we were talking to him before the show started, okay? And he said he thought DePaul was a pretty good job and that they're going to be targeting Dusty May from FAU And he thinks it's not a bad job for Dusty May. I'm like, are you crazy? Dusty May has got a home near the beach, 75-degree minimum every day. Uh, He rides a bike to work. If he goes the other direction from his house, he's on the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, You know, he's got uh, no reason to jump and take DePaul as the next step. No, he can hold out and do better than that. Agreed. And we like we talked about DePaul has just not been a good place for head coaches since uh, Joey Meyer. Uh, since Joey Meyer, no coach at DePaul has lasted longer than six years and none of them has a record over 500. Yeah. And so uh, there's and there's been what, four or five of them. Yep. Yep. Pat Kennedy, Dave Latow, Jerry Wainwright, Tracy Webster, Oliver Purnell, and Tony Stubblefield. Yes. Oh. The latest off the list. Good luck. But everybody thinks that's a good job. It's part of the Big East. But, you know, at some point you got to learn the six people that failed before the you know, that's one of the things you gotta ask if you're out looking for a job is you have to understand why the job is open. Is it because the last six people that took the job have all failed at it? <laughs> Because either they suck at hiring people or the job is not what you think it's cut out to be. So, you know, in this case, it's DePaul is part of a Big East, but you probably, because of that, will never win at DePaul. I don't care how much talent there is in the city. If DePaul doesn't have the reputation as the it place to go, it's very difficult to turn it around and make it the it place. And you have to you have to also remember they've got a great arena and fans aren't showing up. No, 
They They're thought, not. you know, we'll 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 play at the Wintrust Arena, gorgeous place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it absolutely is. I mean, it's one of the nicest arenas that <laughs> that I've been to. They built it right after I left. Oh, really? Yeah, they did. And they built it on the wrong side of town because yeah. it's like the furthest point across downtown that you can go from DePaul University to actually watching the basketball team. And so that right. was a mistake. It's like, is the student section supposed to all hop on the train down? Uh, yeah, know? yeah. Just jump on the train. I'm sure the students will all be there. And so it's kind of awkward in that regard. Uh, it is not, to me, It uh, if you look at the power uh, power conference programs, what is there, maybe a 100 of them? Around there, yeah. That that job might be in the bottom ten. Oh yeah, as far as I'm thinking, uh, as far as other schools, I would put in their company. Yeah, there's not many. Not not up in those power. Two or three, no, no. two or three maybe that would be that that difficult to turn into a winner. By the way, uh, we did get another text that has inspired us to put up a poll on our (laughs) X slash Twitter page. They said, "I disagree with Brett." First of all, shocker there. Oh, gosh. The, <laughs> the fumble out of the end zone is a great rule. It's, it's the, a terrible rule. They say it's the one rule that helps the defense, and they suggested that we put an X poll question out on this one. So we have, if you want to check out at 1380thefan on X, formerly known as Twitter, we ask, do you think that the fumble out of the end zone rule in the NFL should be changed. Okay, so, you know, it's a great rule because the guy fumbles it and it goes sideways and goes out of bounds before the pylon. The ball will be spotted there and it will stay the offense's uh, offensive team's ball. But if it happens to take a kick and get on the other side of the pylon and be ruled <laughs> out in the end zone, then it goes all the way out to the 20-yard line and we give it to the other team. <laughs> No, 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 no. I don't like the rule. I think it needs changed. You'll have to vote. On Let the us poll. know. Get on X and uh, where's that at? 1380 The Fan? You bet. 1380 The Fan on X and be sure to vote on our poll during the show today. We've got to uh, prove that I do have others that agree with me occasionally. <laughs> 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line 46862. Still coming up. We'll talk more Lions football as they get the big win over Tampa Bay. Also, IU and Purdue kind of going different directions right now. We've got college basketball on the way, but Justin Cohn is going to join us next right here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Full disclosure, I do have to say that the fastest response we ever got from Justin Cohn to be a guest on this show is when we offered to have him come on and talk Detroit Lions football. And so joining us right now on our guest line to talk Comets and Lions, it is the Journal Gazette's Justin Cohn. Good afternoon, Justin. <laughs> I, I like that. I wish I could tell you it was just because of the Lions. It was just <laughs> I happened to actually be up at a reasonable hour for <laughs> Well, the uh, Of course, yesterday you were multitasking to the max because the Comets would not reschedule their game. Shame on them for doing such a thing to you, uh, such a loyal uh, reporter that shows up to almost every game. But but uh, let's talk about the Detroit Lions. As a longtime Lions fan, a suffering Lions fan, uh, what does this mean to the psyche, the morale, uh, everything around the organization? Well, I don't know how much time he got. Um, you know, it, it means a lot. 
you know, I mean, one thing about being a Lions fan is I feel like everybody has always kind of liked us, like looked at us as like that cute little kid next door, and maybe you'll let them play with you every now and then. Maybe you'll let them, like, you know, join your pickup game of basketball. Like, people have always been really nice. Like, oh, you're a Lions fan. Oh, good for you. <laughs> so, like, I got hundreds of messages over the last couple weeks from people who are just, like, so happy for you. Like, and I don't know. I had, I had, I had probably my two favorite comments was somebody messaged me and said, uh, I just want to congratulate the only Lions fan I could identify three years ago. I thought that was funny. <laughs> and somebody came up to me at the comic game and said, you know, I don't really care about anything that's going on in the NFL, but I've really been rooting for them because I just see all your tweets about them, and I'm just really happy for you. So I guess that's sort of what it feels like. It feels like, for once, everybody's kind of not making fun of us Lions fans. They're on our side. Um, and then, you know, the other thing I'll say is I was just talking to my daughter and I hadn't thought of it. I was her age exactly the last time the Lions made the NFC championship game. And I remember this. I was, I was all excited. They were playing the Washington, what was then the Redskins. And I ordered pizza and I had a whole setup and I was getting all, and the, the pizza arrives right at opening kickoff and I go upstairs and I get the pizza and I get everything ready, I get plates, I get drinks, and by the time I got back to the couch, the game was over. Like, like they got annihilated by Washington. I mean, it was over in the blink of an eye. But, you know, again, like, at that time, you know, you've got Barry Sanders, you've got all these guys, and you think you're going to be there year after year. You don't think it's going to be 30-plus years, right? So... Uh, just enjoying the moment, I guess, and, and hoping that uh, they're a little bit more competitive this NFC Championship game. You know, I made the comment while I was watching the game when Tampa Bay scored, and uh, unexplainably they decide to go for two, which I still think is the wrong choice at that moment. I think you make it a seven-point game because I do think it, it it keeps a little bit of confidence, more confidence on the Detroit side knowing well, even if we do give up the touchdown, we got a chance to stop the two-point conversion. I thought it was a dumb move. But when they did score, Justin, I thought about all those Lions fans, and I thought, this is just classic. That, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to suffer with it to the end. What were you doing? Because you were watching it in the press box. How difficult was it for you? Well, it, it's funny because, yeah, I was watching it and the, the broadcaster from, um, the other, from Worcester, he leaned over and he saw that two point conversion attempt and he thought that was for a touchdown, you know, because he's calling the game. He's, he's not aware of the situation. And he, <laughs> the look on his face was sort of like, oh boy, here we go. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you just, you have to be prepared for anything. Like when, they beat the Rams. I watched that game with my wife, but she was kind of surprised I wasn't more exuberant when they got a lead, you know, and it looked like they were going to win. And I just looked there. I'm like, honey, this is the Lions. Like, until it's over, anything can happen. You're not going to see me get real emotional either way. And I think that's probably how I was in the press box last night. Like, you know, I, I, I threw my fist in the air a couple times, but I've seen too many games, too many disappointments. Too many bad calls to get too ramped up either way until it's all said and done.
in some ways, is are the fans kind of feeling like they're on a free roll now? Like this team's accomplished more than they've ever seen them accomplish? Or does this does this fan base believe that it's, I don't want to say Super Bowl or bust, but my concern is that a team gets to a certain point, they're satisfied, their fan base is satisfied, and they don't show up. And that, and that's almost like, that's almost what I expect from Detroit. Is that a feeling that you have? I mean, look, I can't speak for anyone else. I can tell you I was satisfied, like, when they got to, like, a playoff berth. Like, <laughs> I'm just, like I said to you, like, they if they don't score another point, I am going to be perfectly satisfied because it's just been so much fun. You know, like, I remember the opening game and they beat the Chiefs. And I was like, this is just fun. Like, they're in prime time, and they actually won a relevant game. Like, so I don't know what the ceiling is. Uh, but what I can say about Detroit sports fans, particularly when it comes to football and hockey, is they're very loyal, they're very knowledgeable, and they're very invested. And, you know, I don't know that there's going to be any disappointment if they lose the next one. But you can see just how long they've been waiting for this. I mean, it is, I've always believed this, it is a Lions state. Tigers fans say differently. I'm, I'm a Red Wings season ticket holder. I will acknowledge it's a Lions state. I mean, you can go to the Upper Peninsula. You can go to Traverse City. I mean, people are always talking the Lions. So I know I'm not answering your question. I just don't know that I have the answer. I don't think... People are going to be disappointed if it suddenly goes sideways. I don't think the expectation is suddenly changed. But I do believe when you look towards next season, there will be that feeling like, okay, what's going to be your sequel to that great season? How do we sustain this? Because this organization has never been able to sustain anything. Justin Cohn joining us on the Sports Rush guest line. All right, we do have to talk a little bit about the Comets and what happened this weekend as Wooster came into town and uh, Comets took two out of three, if I did the math correctly. Is that right? Yeah, two out of three, five out of six points. So <laughs> Ryan Fante returns. It seems like the one position the Comets have a very full room is the goalie room. Um, what's that... What's the future? Because I, I don't think Fanti got sent here to get some work in over the weekend. What's What are the Comets going to do with that goaltender situation on the roster? Well, look, I, I don't think anybody knows. Uh, you know, Jesse Kalicki said something that was my feeling is, look, these things always have a way of working themselves out, which means somebody will get hurt, somebody will get called up, Somebody will decide they're going to go play in Europe. I mean, who who knows? But these people always get real ramped up, like, oh, no, you've got three goalies. There's not enough playing time, not enough games to go around. It always resolves itself. But I think the big person that this puts a strain on is Tyler Parks because suddenly he went from being the guy that would have been the first call-up to Bakersfield if they needed a goalie and now he's the second call-up, and then maybe he's the third on the Fort Wayne depth chart because Brett Brochu has played so well. So, look, it's a great problem to have. That's the thing. There are teams around. I've been studying ECHL goalies today for a story, and 
there are teams around the league that would kill to have any one of those three guys. So it's nice. It's a nice problem to have. Um, I think Ryan Fancy is a legitimate fringe NHL prospect. And what I mean is, you know, look, I don't see him as a, a future number one, but I do see him as a guy that can ascend to the NHL. I think you're right. The idea isn't to have him here indefinitely, but, you know, he's played one game since last year. He's coming off of surgery. I think he looked promising. Uh, you could tell he still needs some work. Uh, and, you know, he's going to get it. But, you know, the big thing is is what happens when you get towards the playoffs. If you still have these three guys, how do you handle that rotation? Because there have been coaches here who have erred in that and erred in picking the right guy and in rubbing the NHL affiliate the wrong way. So that can be a tricky thing, but until the playoffs, it's an embarrassment of riches, and it's a good problem to have. Where is Ryan Fanti as far as his recovery? Because I think there's a couple of phases of rehab when you're coming back from something like hip surgery, especially for a goalie. And one is physically feeling fine and getting your strength back. But number two is also mentally having the confidence that you can play 100% on it without any re-aggravation. Where is he at in that process? Does he feel like it is totally behind him? Uh, you know, he, he said there's still some things he's dealing with. I, I think it's probably more about kind of what you touched on at the end. You know, maybe it's, it's a little bit mental, but, you know, also mobility. I mean, you're a goalie. You're sprawling. You need flexibility. A hip surgery, that sounds awful to me for that position. Uh, the nice thing is they were really slow in bringing him back. Like, he was practicing for two months. Uh, so they certainly took their time. They didn't feel there was any rush to get him back into the game action. So, you know, is he 100% there yet? No. Uh, but I don't think he's too far away from being, you know, 100%, you know, feeling confident and, and all those things. And, you know, again, that's a nice thing about having three goalies, you know. They can play him one game a week instead of having to play him two or three games a week and really let him get there. And, and, you know, that's the thing about having a guy in the ECHL if he's kind of recovering. You know, if you've got to play three and three nights or, or four and five nights, I mean, that's dicey. And they can certainly be careful with him. But I think he feels good. And he said it was really the only things bothering him were things that only goaltenders would understand. And that makes sense to me because I probably wouldn't understand it if he really started trying to explain it. <laughs> All right, so you could explain this to me. Diamond Hands Amesbury, uh, uh, 33 years old, so he's going to take over the senior spot in the uh, the locker room. He gets the handicap slot in the locker room next to Sean Sidlowski. But uh, <laughs> I hope he's not listening because he's a pretty tough guy. Uh, tell me about his addition and what it means to this roster. By the way, it is extremely nice guy i met him walking out of the arena they always are aren't they the toughest guys are the easiest ones to talk to off the ice well and that's i've asked many of them this i think it's because they get all their aggression out in other ways so (laughs) you know why do what, what do they have to be stressed about but yeah they're usually very nice and usually very bright guys too um you know, what, what does it mean? 
I, I applaud the intent, which is to bring in a tough guy. And if you watched any of the games in Rapid City where they lost two or three games, they got pushed around a little bit. I mean, guys got injured. I'm not saying they got injured intentionally, but guys got injured. Um, they, and they were taking liberties, and there was nobody there to kind of correct that. And you've got a team with 10 rookies. That is an absurd number for the ECHL. So 10 rookies, none of them tough guys, mostly skill guys. And the one person that you had around to handle that kind of business was Morgan Adams Moizan, who's out with an injury right now. So I applaud the idea, which is we need to bring in somebody to police things. Um, you can absolutely 1,000% debate whether this is the right guy. Uh, you know, he, he does have experience at this level, but it's been a long time. He's playing in the, in the Federal League, which is low-A hockey to be generous about it. So I totally get the people who say this is going to be a circus. There's a big part of me that is afraid it's going to be a circus, but I'll give it the benefit of the doubt for one big reason. The people that I have talked to said they already love this guy, that they already feel that he has helped change the culture, um, that having an older guy around will has just kind of taken some pressure off them. So, you know, that's what you want, but is he going to stay away from doing something stupid? That's the big, huge, looming question here, and I don't have any answers for you. Um, you know, if I were to bring in a tough guy, it would be somebody that I was very confident could play a regular shift if I needed him to. I don't know if this is the guy to do that, but it's going to sell tickets and it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be good theater. And, but I totally get the criticism, which is coming from all facets of the hockey world. I mean, I had a, uh, I got an email today from a father of a player who's playing in the South division. And he was like, couldn't believe this is happening. I, and I'm wondering why he cares. And then I'm thinking, well, his son plays in the league. They're not going to play Fort Wayne. But he's probably wondering, well, you know, do I have to worry about my son if the league is letting guys like this in? And I, I, it's, it's a, a rational concern, I guess. So I hope that answers it. I, I don't have any great answers, but I know it's going to be great theater. What about the suspension? Did the Comets know that the suspension that he was serving in the FPHL uh, was going to be uh, recognized by the ECHL and that he won't be available until February 3rd? I mean, there's, there's, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, they knew there was a suspension. There's actually two. They did not think the ECHL was going to care about that. The ECHL did. This is my educated guess here, I think the reason they did is all about insurance and liability, which is if something should happen, if he should go out and somehow injure somebody, that somebody could come in and say, well, why were you employing this guy when he was suspended by another league? But that league is a non-unionized two levels below this league. The ECHL is under no obligation to honor that suspension, but they're kind of covering their butts here. But they're only doing that by honoring one suspension, which was an 18-game suspension. They're not honoring the indefinite suspension 
which is hanging over Amesbury's head right now in the Federal Hockey League, which they've never fully explained. I believe that's probably also about liability. So I think it's everybody kind of covering their butts. I think the Comets weren't happy about it. They didn't want to have to wait till you know February 3rd to get him in there. But it might be a blessing to me because there's going to be all this buildup. You'll be able to sell more tickets. If I were them, I actually wouldn't even play him on February 3rd. I would, I would unveil him at a home game, but that's me. Um, but, yeah, that's where we're at. I've never seen a transaction in the ECHL come across like it did, where it's a Daniel Ainsbury going to Fort Wayne but must serve uh, the following six games for a suspension from another league. I've never in all my years seen that happen, so it's sort of hysterical. Justin, uh, best of luck to your Lions this week. Uh, we're polling for you. I, I don't know that I care who wins the game, but we're polling for you to have a good day. Well, I appreciate that. You're, you're not going to make a pick? I mean, come on. You're, you're picking the 49ers, I'll, right? I'll probably pick. Well, I took the 49ers and the Bills to make the Super Bowl. So I got I got I think I got to ride one of them to make it. But you know what? That, that would be a blessing if I do pick the 49ers for you with my record this year. So, uh, you probably would be in better shape if I do pick the 49ers. Well, one thing, I don't know if you thought about this. I have tried not to think ahead, but I let this thought creep in for a second. If they go to the Super Bowl, they will play either the Ravens, who plastered the Lions during the regular season. At that time, that was like a big, like, oh, the Lions are not for real moment. Exposed. Or or they play the Chiefs, and if you remember to week one, like I said, that was the game that sort of embarrassed the Chiefs and brought the Lions onto the scene. So I just think it's great. There are storylines for either opponent should it happen, but I'm trying to not let myself even think about that possibility until it does happen. So whatever NFL script has been written, they should consider those factors before they decide who wins this weekend's games. That's right. Justin, always appreciate you, man. Have a good week, and uh, I know it will probably uh, it'll probably go very slowly for you as you anticipate that big game coming up on Sunday. Yeah, well, and I'm going to try to pack in a couple Red Wing games along the way. Oh, yes. That'll, that'll fill be a the fun time. Week. That'll fill the time. All right, thanks, Justin. Justin Cohn joining us from the Journal-Gazette covers the Comets and, of course, very much into the Detroit Lions. We've got to take a break. Coming up in hour number two, we talk college basketball, we talk court storming, and we've got Don Fisher joining us to explain that statement that he made on the radio the other day. Now, if you missed it on Friday night, we do have it for you. Here's what he said when Indiana was taking on Wisconsin the other night. And I have never said this before in my 51 years behind the microphone at Indiana University, but I am embarrassed for this ball club. Uh, right and now, not, be, not because of the story. That was what Don Fisher said on Friday night's broadcast. And, of course, then everybody reacting to it on what it meant, what he was really trying to say, because he didn't go further to explain himself. We're going to give him that opportunity. We're going to open up the the platform and the microphone today, and we're going to ask Don, explain yourself, give us context. That comes up somewhere around 520. Uh, Be careful on those roads. A little bit of ice out there this afternoon. You're listening to a Monday edition of the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.